Good morning, River City. It is a pleasure to see everybody here this morning. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the luxury to welcome you here to River City. Here at River City, we start every Sunday by reading from the lectionary, um, which is a collection of uh, scriptures that churches all around the world are incorporating. Um, and it's not just a Sunday tool. It is something that there are scriptures written for each day of the week. So we encourage people that if you're looking for a way to incorporate something new into your devotional or you're at a season where you're like, I just want to read the word, but I'm not sure what to read, the lectionary is a great tool for that. Um, today's reading is from Psalm 52, 82, 52. Yep, I studied. <laughs> and it says, why do you boast of evil, almighty one? The steadfast love of God endures all day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly if we can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are steadfast and loving. We turn our eyes to you this Sunday, Father God, as we welcome those who are visiting as well as those who are serving. We thank you for each individual here, Father God. We continue to pray for Sarah and Josh during their sabbatical. We pray, Father God, for those who are still seeking you who still have questions, let them feel as though this is a safe space, Father God, where the honor and the glory is to you. Let there be less of us and more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. Lord, we thank you for the freedom to worship in this place. We thank you for the opportunity just to sit before your majesty. Lord, I feel your presence here this morning. I feel you washing over us. As we lay down our burdens, Lord, you just wash us clean. So everybody here, I just invite you to enter into that space. Whatever the burden you brought in, picture it in your hands and picture laying it down at his feet. Now you stand up and you're free. Your burden has just been taken from you and washed away. Take a deep breath. And just feel the Holy Spirit flood you with peace. 
knowing that you were forever changed by being in his majesty. So Lord, we just thank you. We pray for the universal church this morning for favor and supernatural blessing over the, all of those worshiping in secret. We pray for peace and unity beyond our comprehension. Lord, we just want to worship freely with deeper connection with you. May we be reminded that through our connection to you, heaven comes to earth. We pray for our nation, blessings of wisdom and discernment for government leaders, peace and unity in our country, and a renewed sense of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We pray for the local community, blessings and grace as transition happens in government. Help us lay down our judgments and truly begin to see one another as family. We pray for RCC, for our leaders, Josh and Sarah. Lord, just give them peace and rest since they come back renewed and refreshed. We pray for leadership in this next season, for every person in this body to step into full commitment so as we strive for health and wholeness. We pray for a renewed sense of vision and mission here at RCC. And Lord, we just thank you for everyone here today that we have laid down our burdens, we've given them to you, and the heaviness we came in with, we are not leaving with. We just pray that you continue to guide us in releasing that every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're gonna to look at a few passages out of the lectionary. Um, if you recall, last time I spoke, we also talked about passages out of the lectionary, but they were the wrong passages out of the lectionary because I had misread the lectionary. I can assure you, I triple checked, these are the right passages out of the lectionary for this week. So we're getting off on the right foot. Um, as I worked through these texts um, and prayed about them, you know, what, what can I share? Which ones of them do I want to share from? Um, I came up with, you know, we've, we've done this for several months now, probably longer than that, over a year. We've talked about the idea of a worship journey that we bring to Sunday morning that informs everything we do, not just the songs that are sung. Um, they inform the offering prayer, um, the message, all that. So the worship journey for this week um, is becoming a people who understands that Christ is in all things and also understands that Christ's preeminence means we are to be a people that cares about the things Christ cares about. Now, we don't always grasp how to navigate the world we live in and the pressures we feel with the call to care about what Jesus cares about, but we have to work at it, and we have to give it more than just lip service. I think the passages this morning reveal something about the character of God that people in Amos' time didn't understand and that Paul tries to explain in the Colossians letter, um, but I think on some level these stories have a lasting impact, a lasting lesson for all of us, because the humans that encounter these truths over and over, regardless of the century we happen to read or wrestle with them, right, they, they land with us. There's lessons to be gained. We're going to look at a passage from Colossians. We're going to look at a chunk of scripture from the book of Amos in the Old Testament. We're going to, uh, we heard the psalm at the top of service. For those of you who are in the room, we'll look at that again, Psalm 52. Um, and then we're going to drop in on Mary and Martha in Luke. Um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, who you are. Thank you for your presence in the room this morning. Thank you for your presence with us all the time. Lord, bring your peace 
this morning, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Amen. All right, we're going to start by looking at the Colossians um, chunk of Scripture today. Colossians 1, 15 to 28. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, I can't actually see the screen now, so I'm going to read it from here. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship or call from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So starting with verses 15 to 20, the very top part of that portion, we have this description or explanation of the preeminence of Jesus. It's a hymn that may be of Paul's writing, or he may have included it because it was a popular liturgy of the time in the Christian churches that lays out these foundational aspects of who Jesus was and why he's so important to everything this community believes and does in Jesus' name. Regardless, this exposition of Christ seems the best place to start today's discussion because I think everything pivots off of this. It sets up Jesus' relationship to everything, right? To God, to creation, to the powers that be, to the church, to everything. We know that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the firstborn of creation, and from him everything has its being. Everything. We read in the Gospel of John that Jesus glorifies the Father, and the Spirit glorifies Jesus. Paul talks here about his role to continue Jesus' ministry, right, by making the Word of God known to all. Jesus is that Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. Paul uses the same Greek word here, logos, right, that the writer uses in the first verse of John. Why is it important that we understand these things about Jesus? Because they inform everything else. When we read an Old Testament passage, we read it through a Christocentric lens. Right? The Old Testament books all predate Jesus' humanity, but Jesus predates all those books. That's what this hymn in Colossians tells us, 
That's what John 1 tells us. That's what Jesus tells us. When those Old Testament writers are writing about God, they are trying to understand God without the benefit of Jesus to add to their understanding of who God is. And even with the benefit of the Jesus that we have, we still lack a full understanding of the mystery of God. But the Old Testament writers didn't even have Jesus, that example, and yet some of them managed to capture the character of God anyway. So let's look at the Amos passage for today. This is Amos 8, 1 to 12. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. Songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat." The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account? And everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist, and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. All right, that's good stuff. I got that joy, 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 joy. Right. This passage opens with a pun, right? That, that does, you don't pick it up in the English translations we have. But the words at the top of the passage for summer fruit and the end sound similar in Hebrew. Okay? But this isn't one of those puns that makes you laugh or even smirk, right? This bowl of summer fruit would otherwise seem good. But the writer is about to demonstrate how this fruit represents the end that brings about a feeling of distance from God because of the way the Israelites are treating each other. They are cheating each other and taking advantage of each other, and the wealthy are ruining the poor. The small ephah that's mentioned describes a method whereby the grain seller sells a full weight of flour in a smaller bag, right? Sort of like the Doritos you buy at the store, right? It's mostly air or the slow-churned half-gallon of ice cream, right? Not a half-gallon of ice cream. It's a bunch of air. The great shekel, right, is a similar trick, where the heavier weight is used to measure out the payment due, requiring additional payment than a shekel for the product purchased. Selling the chaff of the wheat, or the sweepings of the wheat, right? This describes selling what's collected on the threshing room floor dustbin, right? It's pieces of grain, it's the leftover flour, it's dirt. 
all put into a bag of flour that's sold, right? And as if the regular swindling of their brothers and sisters wasn't bad enough, Amos is chastising them because they can't even be bothered to pause long enough for Sabbath or an appropriate celebration of a festival to get back to the practice of cheating their neighbors. They're annoyed that they have to put aside the business of defrauding to wait out the Sabbath or festival clock. The Sabbath is a day to not work, to free the people up, to praise God for who he is, what he's done in their lives, to worship together, and they can't be bothered to pause long enough. And when the people can't afford these fraudulent prices or get behind, the wealthy are buying people into servitude to satisfy their debts. Amos' proclamation to the Israelites is a warning. God is not pleased that you are treating each other this way. This is not how God created you to, to act and live together. This is not the type of community that represents God. They are so caught up in creating a false sense of security through wealth and power, they will be unable to hear the word of God because they are not focused on the things of God. They are focused on themselves, on making themselves wealthier and more powerful, even at the expense of their fellow Israelites. Amos is from Judah, the southern kingdom, so it may be easier for him to see what's going on because he's not invested in this Israelite system. But looking at what Amos is saying through a Christocentric lens, right, we see a parallel between what Amos says God wants from the Israelites and what Jesus calls us to with respect to the poor and the oppressed. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The God of the Old Testament is telling the Israelites through Amos nothing inconsistent with what Jesus would later say as he walked around the region surrounding Jerusalem. Now, we may not be swindling our neighbors come Monday morning, but how many of us get caught up in Monday on Sunday and miss out on the time we have together on Sunday? I can't tell you how many Sundays I wasted between the fall of 1999 and the end of 2008 because I was so focused on the list of things I had to do on Monday morning in the office. Jen can tell you. We were attending church regularly through that, that season at Wesleyan Fellowship, at Riverstone, at Stonebridge. But was I really present, right, like I needed to be through that time? That's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no, I was not. And because of that, there were times when I did experience a famine of hearing the words of the Lord, just like Amos warns the Israelites about. Now, was that because the Lord withdrew from me? I don't believe so. But it certainly felt that way at times. And if I'm honest, though, I experienced those feelings in large part because I was not engaging the Lord in a way that I could hear any words the Lord might be saying to me. To me, that's what Amos is trying to warn Israel about. If you get caught up in chasing wealth and power, you will not be able to hear the words of the Lord. He's always speaking. And when we are distracted by all these other things that don't bring life, things that look like a summer a bowl of summer fruit, right? We're going to feel abandoned when our world crumbles. The things we thought that would provide security will prove to be as temporal as Amos says they are. And if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that empires fall. Greece, Rome, Britain, you name it. Revolutions occur that overturn regimes often because the poor and oppressed feel they have no other options. All the more reason for us as the family of Christ to be aware of the plight of the poor and oppressed. And more than just being aware of their plight, engage in action that protects them, that lifts them up. And that requires more than our pity. That requires getting our hands dirty, 
maybe sacrificing things that we work so hard to hold on to. Now, one of the pitfalls of this kind of service, right, is losing sight of the reason for it in the first place. The purpose is to spread the gospel of Jesus. He is the first creation, and from him all things come, right? They are created. Our service is for his glory. But we're human, and we can get caught up in our efforts of serving. We can be prone to wanting attention for our service. We can get proud of all that we are doing and lose sight of why we are doing it in the first place or who we are ultimately serving. Which brings us to the story of Mary and Martha. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, we've all probably heard this story multiple times, right? And heard it preached that Martha is wrong because she's so busy with all the things that take her away from Jesus um, to sit at his feet like Mary does. Mary's good because she sits at Jesus' feet. We hear the line that Mary has chosen the good portion or the better part. But that's not where Martha goes astray, right? It's good to sit at Jesus' feet. We should create that space to sit at Jesus' feet. But that's not in this story where Martha goes astray. What Martha is focused on in the beginning, even before we enter the story in Luke, right, is just as worshipful as what we see from Mary in the verses at the end of chapter 10. Martha is serving Jesus by preparing for his visit. She is engaged in hospitality to prepare for his arrival. She is preparing a meal. She's preparing a space for him to rest, right, and, re and get refreshed. She is focused on his needs. Now, what happens after his arrival is where Martha loses sight of this and starts to focus on herself and on Mary and what Mary is not doing for her. She begins to compare what she is doing for Jesus with what Mary is doing with Jesus. We can easily fall into this trap. We start off on the right foot and lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. We can make it about ourselves. And when it doesn't go our way or the way we want it to, we turn to Jesus and say, hey, you see what I'm doing? What so-and-so isn't doing? What gives? And that makes us angry or resentful or bitter or annoyed. I thought about putting up the feeling wheel here, but I didn't. There's a lot of feelings in that wheel. It's in my office. Um, whatever the emotion is, right? We can get caught up in that emotion. But how, do we get, how can we get back to our focus? Right? How can we get back to understanding and realizing and living out of this purpose for serving in the first place? How can we get back to understanding why we are doing this good thing? And I think the psalm we read this morning at the beginning of service is helpful. So let's read it again, or for the first time. Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty one? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit, you love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. 
He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall, oh boy, the righteous shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction? But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever, because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good, in the presence of the godly. Now, Psalm 52 is attributed to King David. And the words of the psalm are personal for David. He is angry with a man named Doeg, who we read about in 1 Samuel 22. Doeg was in charge of Saul's servants at the time when Saul was chasing David, right? Because David represented this threat to Saul's reign. And in a bid to garner Saul's approval, Doeg tells Saul of David going to visit Ahimelech, a priest, and a group of priests that are under Ahimelech, seeking them for provisions while he's hiding from Saul. And in response, Saul orders the murder of 85 priests. The guards who hear the order refuse, but Doeg steps up and volunteers. And he carries out this order. And he kills the 85 priests and all the women and children and livestock in the priest town. This is why David is so angry and writes this psalm using the harsh language that he uses. David's anger is clear in the words of the psalm itself. He opens by referring to Doeg as, O mighty one. That's a name usually reserved for God. But David is using it sarcastically here. And for those of us um, adept in the land of sarcasm, there is often anger underneath that sarcasm. So that's what David is doing here. David is essentially, though, journaling his anger. Maybe because he feels powerless to do anything about Doeg, right? David is too busy running from Saul to stay alive. He cannot launch some stealth mission to come back around and try to handle Doeg like some Jason Bourne subplot. Maybe David is choosing to talk out his feelings rather than resort to some rash action that could create more problems for himself. Whatever David's motive, we see that eventually in verse 8, David observes that regardless of what Doeg has done, it doesn't change the reality of where David is spiritually. He is like the rooted olive tree, borrowing the metaphor used in Psalm 1, right, of the trees planted by streams of water that bear fruit and demonstrate life. David is arguing that Doeg's way leads to death, leads to being uprooted from the land of the living, relying on power and wealth, Trusting in those things is a road to nowhere. But to get to that place, David has to first express his anger about Doeg. And we do too. The idea that we don't get angry or shouldn't get angry right, is simply not true. And we can bring that to God. Right? The example is here in the Bible. One thing we can gain from this psalm is that God can bear to hear us complain angrily about things, about people that have wronged us, about situations that have gone wrong or we've been hurt. We need to process that emotion to let go of it and arrive at a place where we can recall the steadfast love of God, where we can be thankful for what God has done for us, where we can tell others of the goodness of God despite our circumstances, where we are able to hear the words of the Lord. And if we repress those emotions, there will only be longer-term effects that will create other issues for us. 
So as we wrap up, we see in both Psalm 52 and the Amos passage that embracing this life of wealth and power to find some sense of security does not lead to life. The ends of wealth and power are temporal and fleeting. The pursuit of wealth and power can lead us to compromise our morals and convictions as we collect and preserve wealth and power. The allure of wealth and power can lead us to trample others around us, strangers and loved ones, without concern for the consequences our pursuit has on them. We can be drawn into relationships and alliances with others who hold the wealth and power we seek and ignore the negative or harsh or brutal ways they deal with others to acquire and maintain the wealth and power they have. And in the end, we will find ourselves unable to hear the words of the Lord. Words that are calling us home. Here it is. <clears throat> words that are beckoning us to treat everyone with dignity. Words that are encouraging us to sacrifice for the sake of another. Words that are calling us to let go of preconceived notions of people and their circumstances, to learn about another's story, to develop empathy for their situation. Empathy that leads to action. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your gentleness that calls us to repentance. I thank you for your steadfast presence in, in my life, in our lives, that whispers to us words we need to hear. I pray that we would hear them. I pray that we would respond to those words when we hear them. Help us to create the space we need in our lives, in our schedules, in our commitments, in our obligations, in our responsibilities, where we can pause for Sabbath, where we can pause to celebrate with friends and family, not concerned about Monday morning where we can praise you, where we can gather together, where we can celebrate together your faithfulness in our lives, your provision in our lives. Protect us from the allure of the things that get in the way of that, whatever they may be, wealth and power, Netflix, social media, adventure, Whatever it is, call us home. Pray we would hear you. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.